Hey, you guys. Welcome back to The Uncensored Woman. I am your host, Heather Christine. I hope all of you beautiful, handsome, amazing people are having such an amazing ending to your week. Because as I'm recording right now, it is Sunday night and hopefully without any problems, this episode should be published tonight. So if you are a night owl, yes, you will be hearing me tonight at the end of this week. But if you don't listen to me until tomorrow, as most of you will, I hope that you're having a happy Monday and a great beginning to your week. As promised, we are going to talk about the Lori Vallow Chad Daybell case, also dubbed as the Cult Mom case. Uh, we are going to discuss all updates and Chad Daybell's preliminary hearing from this past week. Things with this case don't ever seem to get any less crazy. But y'all know the drill. Before we hop into that, please download The Uncensored Woman on whatever platform you are listening on. And if you are on iTunes, please give this show a review. As always, I really do appreciate it. And it helps me expand to a bigger audience. Um, it, it just it gets my show heard into a bigger audience. And I'm starting to see new people once again coming in. And it has been... A few months since I've seen a newer crowd coming in on my podcast. Uh, so I am very honored if you are a new listener. Thank you so much for joining me. So yeah, giving reviews and downloading it, it does help me get out there. And I see some new ones on here that are downloading the show. And I, I just want to let you all know with my whole heart, whether you're a new listener or um, a loyal listener and you're, you've been with me since the beginning or middle or whatever, I appreciate it and love you guys so much. But with all of that being said, y'all, we have such a long episode today. So we're going to go ahead and hop right into today's episode. So earlier in the, this week, Chad Daybell had his preliminary hearing for the charges of committing two felony counts of conspiracy to commit destruction, alteration, or concealment of evidence and two felony counts of destruction, alteration, or concealment of evidence. Over that two-day hearing, Judge Edens, Edens, I think it's Edens, but for, so forgive me if I am saying it wrong, uh, but Judge Edens determined there is sufficient cause that Chad committed these crimes. I know I myself was relieved and seeing the grandparents of JJ, Kay, and Larry Woodcock's reaction made my heart so happy especially seeing Larry Woodcock walk out of the building looking extremely pleased with Judge Eden's decision, clapping his hands and saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And when Nathan Eaton of Idaho, East Idaho News asked, what are your guys' thoughts after today? Kate answered with one down, one to go. 
And Larry stated, the first part of justice has been completed. And yes, we agree with you so much, Larry. And we are hoping that that pattern only continues with these psychotic people, as in uh, Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow Daybell. Although it seems, and I may be wrong, but... If you are as into the case as I am, especially with the preliminary hearing, I didn't see Chad wearing a wedding ring and you absolutely, that is the one piece of jewelry that you can wear in jail or prisons, um, or at least I think so, because I do have a loved one in prison and the father of my twins is serving time in federal prison, but he's been in county jails and stuff like that. I'm from Kentucky, and that is the one piece of jewelry that you can have. Um, it's also kind of telling that within the preliminary hearing, um, it seemed like Chad D. Bell's lawyer prior was trying to separate Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow Daybell's names, like stating, well, she was Lori Vallow then, and they were trying to make it seem almost like Lori and Alex were so close, it was almost like an incest type of relationship. Like, he was just doing whatever to draw the attention and pressure away from his client, which I get that's what he's supposed to do. But the conclusion I got from that, you know, from what the tactics his lawyer used and also him not wearing a wedding ring is that he is now trying to separate himself from Lori and I strongly feel sooner than later they will be playing the blame game on each other uh, but as far as the statements from Kay and Larry Woodcock after the two-day preliminary hearing that's the only statement that they could give or that they wanted to give. I'm not sure which one. And for me, at least, it was sufficient. I don't know how Kay and Larry are holding so strong to begin with anyways, much less talking to the press. I, you know, I would. I don't even know if I would be able to, to get myself out of bed. I'm just so happy that they got what they wanted after those long two days at court. The preliminary trial or hearing is what we are going to talk about today for Chad Daybell. But I just wanted to throw in here that Lori Vallow Daybell was supposed to have her preliminary hearing this coming week. But and if y'all listen on Monday, then it should have been the week that y'all are listening to on. So tomorrow starts a new week. This new week was supposed to be Lori's uh, preliminary hearing as well. Uh, but her and her lawyer, Means, appeared in front of Judge Edens, Edens, so sorry if I'm butchering it, and I've been all over this case, so I don't know why I'm blinking out now, uh, but they were supposed to appear in front of the same judge and uh, for the preliminary hearing, but they 
actually ended up appearing this week or depending on when you're listening to this episode last week, later in the week via East Idaho News live from the courtroom waiving her rights to a preliminary hearing. Notable, this document was actually drafted July 17th, so they did wait a little bit to push it through. I know a lot of people were worried about what this means for her and her charges and everything, but all it means is criminal defendants usually have the option to waive the preliminary hearing, but it happens very rarely and no defendant should do this without the advice of an attorney. If you waive a preliminary hearing, you allow the prosecution to proceed on criminal charges against you without having to present its evidence. So more than likely, this is what I'm thinking now, I don't know this for a fact, but just in my thoughts, more than likely, Chad's lawyer prior consulted with Lori's lawyer means and seeing as how Chad's preliminary hearing didn't go in his favor and the way they expected it to, and how much evidence the prosecution has, particularly against Lori, she decided to wait to go in front of a jury. Both Chad and Lori will have to go to district court for an arraignment, and Chad's is scheduled for October 21st, 2020, with Judge Stephen Boyce. Lori's is ske- or Lori's schedule for district court is not known to my knowledge as of yet, Now, that could be different now. I'm not sure. I double-checked, and I still wasn't seeing anything. So, I don't know when Lori's district court is scheduled for. uh, But, like I said, Chad's is for August 21st, 2020, and he will go before Judge Stephen Voice. Now, if Lori pleads not guilty, she will have a jury trial in Madison County that is scheduled for January 25th through the 29th, 2021 at 9 a.m. Once again, she if she pleads not guilty when she goes in front of the district judge, she will have a jury trial in Madison County that is scheduled for January 25th through the 29th, 2021 at 9 a.m. When I first started typing up my notes for this update episode, I thought I was going to release this way sooner. And I know you guys probably thought I was putting you off or whatever, but I did start typing out my new notes almost a month ago. It originally was not supposed to be about the preliminary hearing of Chad Daybell. I mean, that was going to be a totally different episode. So this episode was still going to come. But at first, I laid out my options and I was going to do it on something different. At the time that I started typing up notes for this, a a YouTube channel had released a huge document, you guys. Like, I think it was like over a thousand pages. It honestly was pertaining to the custody battle between Lori and Tylee's father, Joe. And throughout that process, Charles' custody with his own kids got intertwined into that same case, which is very rare. However, the more I listened to these documents, the more I found it to be not necessary for what is going on right now. 
So I'm really not going to mention too much from those documents at all. It was putting out info that I don't really find relevant to this case. And in particular, Lori's oldest and now only living child, Kobe, was in these documents a lot. And I feel as though he has been through enough. And this may be stuff that is embarrassing to him and heartbreaking to him. I don't want to drag his name through the mud for stuff he can't help especially if it doesn't help this case. He already has so much devastation surrounding him at this point in time. Also, it painted Charles in a bad light too. And he is a victim that, in my opinion, was bum-rushed by Lori and her brother, Alex Cox, last July, July of 2019, and murdered. I don't believe for a single second it was self-defense on the Cox's part. I fully believe in my heart they planned this crime and executed it exactly how they wanted. And Charles is no longer here to speak for himself. And I just don't like doing that type of stuff. Now, going through some of these documents, you can see patterns with Lori and how she's a manipulator and liar and you can learn more about her past and so I just feel like if there's any relevance to those papers Lori's name should only be brought up because Tylee's not here to defend herself Charles is not here to defend himself and um Colby is here but like I said he is the oldest and last living son of Lori Vallow Daybell and he is devastated and what went on in his childhood probably probably because his mother is a freaking psycho has nothing to do with these two innocent lives being taken and then also Charles and Tammy and you know who knows who else I just don't think it does any good to put him out there like that and he already has way too much to deal with so I adjusted everything to this preliminary hearing and man it did not disappoint as far as evidence goes prosecution was not playing any games and Rob Wood came to win and seek justice for all the victims involved but especially for poor JJ and Tylee I believe over a dozen witnesses were called during this two-day hearing, and that involved Melanie Gibb, Lori's old best friend, and I'm just assuming it's her old best friend, but she decided to work with prosecution and testify against her quote-unquote best friend. Um, so I, I think she was starting to see Lori's true colors. I, I don't think she would ever be friends with her again. Uh, so the witnesses included her, her boyfriend, David Warwick, some of the Rexburg and Fremont County police and detectives, FBI agents, and the BYU Idaho Dean of Students. Chad Daybell lacked emotion through this whole hearing, you guys. I mean, I was absolutely disgusted just watching him and how cold he was. Um, in fact, at a few points, he looked to be dozing off. And I read a few speculations, like that's like a, a lawyer thing, like a DA thing to do with their guilty client, like have them on Xanax or 
something, you know, I don't know, but he definitely did not show any emotions. He, well, I'm sorry. He did smile and giggled a few times and he was very much sucking up to the DA, his defense attorney prior, uh, by helping with his mic and stuff when Judge Eddins was telling Pryor over and over and over again to adjust your mic. I can't hear you. Pryor was not speaking into it at all times. Often he would lean way back in his chair when questioning a witness. And so the judge kept on reminding him and Chad was just playing kiss ass, but that's really the only emotion he showed. It's almost like he's done this before. Like he's trained, like he's desensitized to this stuff. And, and that bothered me. I really wouldn't be surprised if he has a longer past than we think. Cause like I said, he just wasn't phased. Notable was the fact that any pictures of evidence that his lawyer prior had to look over from the prosecution side, Chad also wanted to see again, no emotion when he was seeing this stuff. Um, I, I, I'm just saying if I were not guilty in something like this. Okay. And I was sitting where he was sitting. I mean, I would be so bothered by this. I would be working every step of the way with whoever, first of all, second of all, wouldn't be running off and getting married during all of this before he was even arrested. Third of all, if I had gotten that far to be arrested and be right where he was, I would, I would be balling, but yeah, that, that was not the case for him. You would catch him leaning over to see or trying to see out of the corner of his eye. The first witness to be called to the stand was Detective Ray Dennis Hermosillo. His testimony was very memorable to me as he is the first one that gave more info on how JJ and Tylee were found. Uh, according to localnews8.com, um, he said that JJ was buried in a black plastic bag in red pajama pants and shirts and black socks that had Adidas on the top of them and with a white and blue blanket on top of him. And also... Um, going off of this website for a second, when they were digging him up, when they first started digging, they took three large rocks up and then under those three large ro rocks were wood paneling that they had to pull up. And then when they pulled the wood paneling up, they saw a black plastic bag and it looked as though it was a human head. Um, so back to localnews8.com. Hermosillo said he observed several layers of duct tape tightly wrapped around the boy's head from his chin to his forearm. JJ also had duct tape wrapped over his elbows, arms, and hands. Hermosillo said in court, and his wrists and ankles were bound with tape. Um, okay, 
like it, it th that that's so gross but what this local news 8.com is not saying is that also he was wrapped before they could ever see any of that duct tape he was wrapped in i think it was two layers of plastic so when they found the human remains they made an incision through the first layer of black plastic to unveil another layer of white plastic and what they said looked like a standard trash bag with like diamond shapes on it and then they made an incision through that plastic and that's when hair started uh, coming out and they they knew and the smell was coming out of a decomposing body they knew that it was it was one of the kids and so they loaded that up onto or into the coroner's vehicle to go to the I think it was the Ada County um, medical examiner place and they did positively identify that child as JJ sorry it's just it's it's so hard for me to even talk about but I know I've seen a lot of people ask about this and I am curious too knowing this and and maybe they'll do this in the actual trial with the jury but I wonder why when the last weekend that JJ was seen Lori actually had um Melanie Gibb not her niece Melanie but her best friend Melanie Melanie Gibb and Melanie's boyfriend David Warwick Lori had them to stay in with her for the weekend and that's when Lori was in her townhouse in Rexburg and they had seen Alex bring JJ back to the house late on September 22nd because Alex had taken JJ out of the house while they were recording a podcast and so David and Melanie observed Alex bringing JJ back and people are wondering if Melanie and David paid attention to what JJ was wearing if he was in fact that night in red PJs okay because um, that that could I, I feel like that could help give more of a timeline and, and give you know more perspective to everyone but of course I, I'm sure there's a lot of things that the prosecution and law enforcement and all that know that still hasn't been said they're using that and saving it for trial so but I, I I just was questioning that and I've seen a lot of other people were questioning the same thing and also Melanie nor David are not sure when JJ left the house again or when he was carried out again or if he even ever slept there or when Alex brought him in and it looked like JJ was sleeping if he was really poisoned and deceased at that time but we do know the next day which is the 23rd when Melanie Gibb and David Warwick woke up around I think eight-ish to leave to go back to their homes JJ was not there 
and David asked to see JJ and Lori said, well, Alex had to come get him. JJ woke up this morning and he was acting like a zombie, you know, crawling on climb cabinets, crawling on cabinets on top of them and crawling up the walls and shit like, yeah, yeah, right. Okay. It's like something out of the exorcist and he knocked a picture over on the top of the fridge of Christ. And so Alex came and got him, but JJ was already dead by this point is is what is assumed so they didn't see JJ that morning so we're not even real sure if JJ was there all night from the time Alex brought him in the night before or not and I'd be really curious to know what JJ was wearing at the time that Alex brought him in the night before um, because I think that could be somewhat of a groundbreaker on this also they found JJ in the backyard of Chad Daybell's property, I believe over by the pond. And the way that they got these locations were from pings from Alex's phone. Okay, so they kind of knew the areas to look in. Then they went over to what chad and tammy called another area in their backyard they called it the pet cemetery because tammy chad's now deceased wife was an animal lover and they buried their beloved pets in the backyard and when they started digging they found i think a dog and a cat at first but this perhaps was the most gruesome part about it because then they started digging again and I believe it was about two inches down like neither were buried deep down they started to find bones now these bones were so messed up and so charred and dismembered <clears throat> excuse me at first they could not tell if the bones were in fact human remains or animals so they let the anthropologists look at the bones and they started digging down deeper and that's when they found more bones with tissue still on it and then that's when the smell of human decomposition started hitting them all and then they dug a little bit more and they found a melted green bucket I believe with half a skull and teeth okay so they loaded that up uh, in the coroner's vehicle as well and that was identified as Tylee I think via um, an old jaw impression she had did for the dentist or orthodontist or something and now that really fucked me up you guys I mean JJ's did too I cried when they explained his pajamas and all that but they completely dismembered this girl shot her According to Chad's text, even though he said he shot a raccoon, okay, we think he was selling on himself because it was at the same time Alex's, or it was around the same time Alex's phone pinged, and it was when Tylee went missing, and he said that he had burned some debris and shot a raccoon, but, and he had sent that to his wife, Tammy, and funny enough, when one of the FBI agents was talking about going through Chad's text for the past eight months, that was the longest text and most detailed text he had ever sent to his wife, Tammy. So he said he was burning debris and shot a raccoon. And we all now think it wasn't a raccoon. 
he was definitely talking about Tylee. So if that is true, they burned Tylee, dismembered her, shot her. And um, I don't know if I said burned her. God, it's just a lot. And, you know, if it wasn't for them impressions, I don't know if they would have been able to identify her. And that's just sick. <sighs> yeah, I'm going to get off my opinion now and just get on with this because... Like I said, this is a very long episode, but I am, um, they're just monsters. All right. So they're explaining this. And this was, of course, a very gut wrenching moment for everyone that has looked into this case, but especially JJ's grandparents, Carrie, Carrie. I'm sorry, Kay and Larry Woodcock. You could visibly see how upset they were. And Larry actually had to pull some of his face mask off because he was sobbing. You could also see it all over Detective Hermosello's face. How much this has affected him mentally and emotionally. On cross-examination, Chad's attorney Pryor tried to grill Detective Hermosillo on dates and times and placement. And honestly, honestly, that's all Pryor could do for this hearing since it was clear his client is extremely guilty in part of this or in my belief all of this case. Pryor objected frequently and would say things over and over again, which, oh my God, I just, he's got a punchable face and I wanted to punch him through the screen. He would be like, quite honestly, judge, I ought to be able to ask or inquire about X, Y, and Z. And also he was extremely argumentative with all of the witnesses from the prosecution, but especially two in particular which will bring me to my next two witnesses which is Melanie Gibb and David Warwick and like I said Melanie Gibb is Lori's old best friend David is Melanie's boyfriend did I say boyfriend in the beginning or husband I don't know but it's definitely not her husband or her, her fiance it's it's Melanie's boyfriend David Warwick um but I, I thought, you know, he better do a different approach when he's in front of a jury because even if you're the DA and your client looks guilty as shit, you can still try to be a likable person and it's probably going to get you a lot further than that argumentative shit. It's not like Chad is very likable to begin with, but you want something to be likable about the defense side about the DA and that's just not what Pryor was presenting during this hearing and honestly for all of us that want justice I hope he keeps that argumentative attitude and the jury sees right through it uh, because Chad will definitely go down when Rob Wood was questioning Melanie Gibb as his witness they dropped a bombshell even Larry Woodcock, he has some stuff that is public on his Facebook and he posted a meme about this that was so funny because it, it just was a huge bombshell in this case and in my opinion, it was one of the biggest pieces of evidence that the prosecution put out okay it, it, it told a whole story and it made this case even stronger against 
Chad and Lori and Alex, but you know, it doesn't really matter for Alex because Alex Cox is now deceased. He passed away in December. Now, Melanie had recorded a conversation on her cell phone back on December 8th of 2019 with Lori and Chad. Chad answered by saying, hello, sweet Melanie. It was some weird shit like that, and I'm about to verify it in just a moment. But Melanie starts asking questions about where they are. Neither of them will give that information away. Um, she proceeds as if they are in Idaho and Chad does give a little way by saying they are far from it. So as we now know with the timelines, Lori and Chad were in Hawaii at this time, you know, fleeing, getting married and celebrating and taking pictures and playing ukuleles while Lori's kids are murdered and buried in um, her new husband's backyard fucking disgusting okay like I, I can't oh my god it, it just it, it burns my skin every single time I say it okay it, it's just it's disgusting okay Heather move on um just so you guys can know when I'm about to read the transcription of this phone call Tylee was not known to be missing at this point and that's why Melanie does not ask about Tylee and only ask about JJ. I am now going to read you all of the full transcription to this phone call via klsnewsradio.com and then we are going to go to eastidahonews.com to discuss day two of the hearing and the timeline for that day and what brought Judge Eddins to his um, decision. So the phone call lays out like this and I will link these websites in my show notes today. Chad answers the phone. He says, hello, sweet Melanie. Ugh. Melanie says, hi, Chad. Hey, Lori. Chad says, here, let me put it on speaker. Melanie says, oh, okay. Chad says, all right. Lori says, we're in it with the phone. Melanie says, how are you guys? Lori says, we're okay. How are you doing, babe? And she's got just this like perky voice, like nothing's going on, just upbeat and positive. Like Melanie said, just like she don't know shit. She don't know her kids are dead. Like she just, she just doesn't give a shit. Melanie says, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks. I was wondering, where are you guys? Chad said, we're just hanging out. Melanie, hanging out. Are you, are you in Idaho? Lori, no, Chad, we're nowhere near Idaho, Melanie, I just want to ask you a question if you don't mind, Lori, Lori, of course, honey, Melanie, I wanted to know, remember when we talked about JJ going to Kay Woodcox, uh, or they put Woodcox, JJ's grandmother and Lori's sister-in-law from prior husband, Charles Vallow. So she says, I wanted to know, remember when we talked about JJ going to Kay's house and he told me they went there and he told me they went there. I, I don't know if that's what they meant. And now he's not there. 
I think I think they met on this website and you told me they went there and now he's not there. I was wondering what happened. Lori says, well, I had to move him somewhere else because of her actions. So and I was listening to Linda from It's a Crime and she made a really good point about this because it does sound very weird that Lori refers to her son that's supposed to be alive and just hiding in safety. Well, I had to move him somewhere else because of her actions. Move him. It's very weird to say. It's like Linda said, like he's talking about or she's talking about just an object, an inanimate object. Like it's not her son. It's weird. So Melanie says, was she, was she doing something like, was she trying to come get him or something or like trying to kidnap him? Lori said, well, she's, yeah, she said that oftentimes before, but, um, Melanie, okay, well, you know, when I asked Chad the other day, I was like, hey, you know where JJ is? And he said, for my security, he didn't want me to know. So is there a reason I should be in danger to know where he is? Lori says, no, it's nobody. It's his danger. It's the danger that there's people after me. Melanie says, okay. Chad said, we just thought if you knew that puts you in danger. Lori said, well, just in a bad position. Then Chad reiterates, yeah, a bad position for her. Lori, everybody, if they don't know anything, then they don't have to say they know. Melanie says, right. So you're just worried. Okay. Lori says, I'm just, I'm just trying to keep him protected. Chad says, and keep you protected. And then Lori, and keep everyone protected. And then Melanie says, I appreciate that. Well, I was wondering why you told the police why he was with me. Lori says, I just needed to use. And then she backs up from saying that. And then she says, talk to somebody. So I wouldn't have to tell them where he really was if they were going to tell Kay where he is. Now, I'm not sure this is the true transcription of this line that Lori said, but I do know at this very part, it was almost, Lori was about to almost tell Melanie she would, she just needed to use her, but she refrained and she stopped when she said use. And then she said, something about talking to somebody so she wouldn't have to tell them where he really was if they were going to tell Kay where he is so Melanie says oh yeah so is it you you think it's like your family or you know like your family your dad or those other people Lori says well my family well not my whole family but as you know most of my family is working against me and Melanie says yeah and so they go on and on. And Melanie says, is JJ safe? And Lori says, he is safe and happy. Melanie says, okay, well, that's good to hear. Are you afraid of anything? Like, are you afraid to tell me that you're just afraid that um, I could be in danger? Like, you know, 
like if I knew how could that hurt me I don't understand how that could hurt me if I knew where he was and Lori says well I'm not just telling anybody um and then Melanie says yeah okay I hope well I hope he's okay I hope you guys are okay I did have a question I asked Al at one point what she's referring Al is uh, Lori's brother Alex Woodcock if I wanted to know where he was and he said I did not want to know and that he could not be found so what does that mean and Lori says well I don't know why he would say that but it's the same story I didn't even want Al to know I don't want anybody to know so that nobody has to be worried about it and so Melanie says yeah and then um so Melanie proceeds ask are they going to be away forever um when they're going to come back and you know what does all that look like and then Lori says she will do whatever the Lord needs her to do Melanie says okay I just wondered if I was ever going to see you again and Lori says absolutely you will and then that's when Melanie goes on and says okay so maybe when they're done chasing you you'll be able to come out of hiding um, and JJ and then Lori says yeah it's a ridiculous thing for them to be working with Kay to find me and you know she thinks the police is working with Kay and and her family on in some form of dark capacity and she says there's no reason for them to be after me in the first place you know just a bunch of bullshit classic Lori Vallow Daybell shit she's being manipulative she knows that she's guilty everybody's always against her everybody's always trying to chase her it's never her fault and then Melanie asks has she threatened you at all and then Lori says yes lots of times and Melanie says oh boy what did she say now at this point you can tell Melanie's not buying this shit anymore okay Lori said well it's in the emails and everything and Lori at this point and Melanie are talking about Kay Woodcock which is JJ's grandparents and if you all are confused because Kay is also um, Charles Lori's now deceased husband's sister it's because Lori and Charles adopted JJ okay so Melanie starts asking if um she was going to come and take JJ if she was going to you know kidnap JJ and Lori just says there's a lot of things and then Melanie goes on to say I'm just worried for you guys because you know he's missing and then Lori interjects and she says I know exactly where he is he's perfectly fine with me and Melanie then says okay well I hope so and then Melanie tells Lori that she has a scripture she wanted to share if Lori don't mind. And Lori says, I love it. And Melanie goes on to say, I was thinking about some of the things you guys have gone through. And I saw this scripture today. And then Lori interrupts her and says, let me ask you a question. And Melanie says, okay, yeah. And then Lori goes on to talk all about all this religious stuff. Let me ask you a question about a scripture. Did Alma turn herself and or themselves into King Noah, or what was he required to do? 
And Melanie says, well, King Noah was incredibly wicked. And Lori says, yes. And Melanie said, so he fled his evil ways, which is adultery and living and not living righteously and breaking all the commandments. And Lori says, right. So what did he do? What was required? What was he required to do? Elma. And then Melanie says he had to go and flee so that he could be safe and then help other people realize how, you know, jacked up the system and the government was. And then they go on to talk about these other places. And so Lori goes on to say in the scriptures, he had to hide in the cavity of a rock by day and go out by night. And then so Melanie after a minute Melanie goes on to share a scripture and then it says for she says for behold you should not have feared men more than God although man set not the counsels of God to despise his words yet you should have been faithful and he would have extended his arm and supported you against all the fairy darts of the adversary he would have been with you in every trouble so when we work with the Lord and are obedient um, he's going to protect us from the adversary darts and all kinds of negativity. But when we open the door to Satan, he comes in and he attacks and then he takes away to make it look like somebody else took it away. But that's not how God works. He doesn't work in darkness. And Lori says, I agree with you 100%. And that's what the Lord is doing for me. Exactly what he's doing for me. And then Lori starts getting defensive. We have not opened the door to darkness, Mel. Darkness is knocking on the door all the time because that's the way dark works with the light. And I promise you that I have done nothing wrong in this case. But sometimes you have to hide in a cavity of a rock for your own safety. And that's what the Lord requires of you sometimes. And that's how it is. And I'm sorry that's how it is because there's a lot of darkness on earth. And Melanie says... I know. Lori says there's or that's that some of this transcription is wrong, you guys. Um Lori goes on to say something about Kay and she tells Melanie you already know it's she's dark, like referring to Kay and Melanie says, I haven't met her enough to know if she's dark or not, just met her slightly and she seemed like a normal kind of person. But then again, I haven't engaged with her that much, so I don't really know. So Lori says, so you don't know about her changing the things for herself to the, be the beneficiary of the policy. And none of that is dark, right? And so ding, ding, ding. We all knew Lori was pissed when her plan to have Charles murdered really got executed. And she found out she was not the beneficiary of uh charles life insurance anymore charles had switched it to k so she's still holding that and so melanie says i haven't seen those documents so i have no way of knowing and Lori says you've seen my computer melanie says no i have not and Lori then 
states, I don't know why you're being controversial to me if you're reading this or if you're recording this conversation for the police or whatever. I don't know what your intention is on this phone call, but I love you with all my heart and I have forever and I always will. And Melanie says, I appreciate those words, but if you really love me, you wouldn't have told the police that I had JJ with me. That's not okay. That's not what a friend does. I mean, that just makes me look weird and it's just not safe for me. That doesn't look good. You have to think of my welfare and you love me and Lord, if you love me and Lori says, I do and I did exactly what I felt the Lord was instructing me to do and I appreciate that. And I never do anything to harm you. And you can have all of this confirmed to you by the Lord. And Melanie just basically goes on to say, my conscience is clear. I feel very understanding of what's really going on, Lori. And I believe that you have been very deceived by Satan. I I believe that he has tricked you. And I don't believe what you're doing is correct. I just don't. I mean, Tammy dies and then your husband died and... Now he's missing talking about JJ like it just doesn't sound like God's plan to me. Um, I just have a gut feeling like in my gut it feels weird. It doesn't feel right. I don't have peace. I never have felt 100% peace about always or and I've always felt a little weird in my stomach about all these things. And then Lori goes on to try to gaslight and manipulate Melanie by saying, you know me, Mel, you know me. This does not sound like you. It sounds like you've been influenced by somebody dark who wants you to believe in the dark things and have fear. And Melanie says, I don't have fear. So then they start going back and forth. Obviously you do. No, I don't. Blah, blah, blah. Then Lori states again how she loves her so much. And do, 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 do. And then Chad chimes in and he just says, I just want to testify that I know Tammy love or um, Tammy, he, he was talking about Tammy his sister-in-law so Tammy's sister loves conspiracy theories and she's all behind the uh, conspiracy theories his sister-in-law and Melanie's like look I don't even know what you're talking about I don't even know your sister and then Chad goes on to say she's coming up with the same type of theories and it's just not true my own children were there they testified that Tammy had been getting weaker and sick and I begged her to go to the doctor her heart was failing her she was physically falling apart and she hates doctors and she just passed away that's how it happened my son Garth was right there with me the whole time my kids were at the house within 20 minutes of her passing there were two coroners they checked out right there they checked her out right there on the bed all these conspiracy theories just make me sick to my stomach just absolutely sick I know I've been told for years that Tammy would pass away at a young age. I had no idea that Lori would even be a part of my life. I just knew that my life had two segments. And I know Tammy's on a special mission and she's with my kids. She just visited them. There's just so much, Melanie, that you you just have to have faith. And there's no master plan. There's no way Lori and I could ever come up with this. Ha ha ha. Whatever, whatever. And then Melanie says, you can see my concern, right? Then Chad says, well, from an outside perspective, yes. But then Lori butts in and interjects. And she's like, from someone who knows as much as you know, no, not really. 
but we can feel David's influence on you. Um, she's talking about Melanie's boyfriend, David Warwick. Then Melanie goes on to say he's a he's a good man, blah, blah, blah. And Lori, he's putting doubts in your head. And then Melanie's going back about her gut feeling and not listening to it and feeling uncomfortable with things. And then... Lori said, well, I'm sorry that I included you in those teachings for your own sake because um, I wish you didn't have as much knowledge as you have because you will be held accountable for the knowledge that you do have, Mel. And then Melanie says, so will you. And then Lori says, I agree 100%. I have no fear. And then this is when Melanie starts reading or telling her about reading the story of Korahor and it's so very similar to this. You just can't see it. And then Lori gets piss, piss, And she said, that's me. And I'm full of natural desires. And Melanie, which was really funny. She said, well, honey, you have a lot of natural desires. We all know this. And then Lori just can't get off this. So that's what you think of me, Cora Horror? Are you kidding me right now? And then Lori just goes on by saying, you know, she lives by the scripture. And then Melanie tries to say that Lori has rested the scripture. They go back and forth. And Melanie says she feels like she has. And then, um, you know, they're just going back and forth, back and forth. And... You know, she goes back to saying, to talking about JJ and, you know, saying that she could tell everyone where JJ is right now, but that would not be good for JJ. Um, so she's sorry that she, she, she tells Melanie, I'm sorry that you don't want me to protect my children, but I would never ask you not to protect your children. See, this is just a guilty person knowing that they're guilty and talking and trying to make somebody else feel guilty by gaslighting and all that other shit. Um, and so Melanie tells Lori her salvation is not in trouble. Lori says her salvation's not in trouble at all. She needs to check with the Lord. And then they're going back and forth about all this spiritual stuff in the book, in the book of Mormon. And, um, and basically Lori really needs to check yourself and, or check herself and that she's not following a Christ-like path. And so um anyways the phone call really ends besides going back and forth because you all can look the rest up on YouTube because it's 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 a lot and Lori gets really mad uh at the end of it Lori just says he does protect me and he is protecting me and he will protect me against this accusation as well and we will both stand there with him and you can tell me if I was lying or not when we're both standing there with Jesus Christ and then the call disconnects okay um to me this was it, it was it was just crazy and like I said um this just made the the whole case pop okay I that was heard on the day uh or on the end of day one in the preliminary hearing and everybody's minds were blown at this point okay um so the second day of going in Melanie Gibb is going to be on the sand once again she's going to be sworn back under oath again 
um, and she's going to go under cross-examination with Pryor. And Pryor, he he starts off hot, okay, you guys? He's, he's ready to go in. He's ready to grill Melanie. He asks her if she has any sort of disorder that... Um, you know, where she can't understand things or auditory disorder because some of the dates she can't remember, but he's totally hypocritical because he, throughout the two days, forgot dates and names and titles and all that left and right. And he also tried to make her look crazy, talking about her religion. I mean, really, I honestly don't know if I could have sat as calm as Melanie did during cross-examination because, like I said, he tried to make her look uneducated. He condemned her. He brought up her autistic son. He made her look stupid and crazy for her religion and... Yeah, um, he did bring up the fact when the, when Melanie first talked to the police after Lori stated that JJ had been with Melanie and that's where he was at first when Melanie contacted the police, she initially told the police that she had JJ for a little bit, but she gave him back to Lori. So she lied at first. So, Pryor went in and, you know, basically was asking about, you know, why she lied if the police made a deal with her. Like, if she recorded that phone call, they would let her off on that. But, no, the police never pressed any charges on her for that because she ended up calling back like a, um, a week later or so and telling them the truth. She recorded that phone call on her own accord. Nobody asked her to do that. And um, he then goes on to ask who was present during her meeting with Rob Wood on, on Saturday. And she tells prior that of course Rob Wood was there David Warwick was there law enforcement officers and so on and such and then he starts asking her about Alex Cox and asking her to describe Alex's relationship with Lori and then prior starts asking about her relationship with Tylee, insinuating that she didn't like Tylee and Tylee didn't like her, and he's trying to go on and on and on, but Wood objects this, and, um, you know, he stops prying so much, prior stops prying so much into this, um, <laughs> um, he just, he was really trying to, get her caught up in something after she went off the stand her boyfriend David David Warwick came up now David actually it appeared like he had a ear hearing aid so he did have an actual hearing problem now he tried to 
talked to David real stupid too and was very argumentative and David recalls meeting with Lori and Melanie at a piece of property while uh, Melanie and David were visiting and staying at Lori's townhouse when they were in Rexburg back in September. Apparently, they had went to a pre piece of property at that time near Chad's house with Chad um, and they had a realtor there. They met around 30 minutes and... Then he talked about them doing the podcast that night and um, Pryor asked how well David knew Alex Cox and of course David had only met him a few times and, and really didn't know him. Um, all he really said was he was a fun guy with the sense of humor. He didn't really take anything serious and then Pryor uses David's hearing issue against him by saying something like, so, you know, because you have a, a hearing issue, you might not have heard things right, right? And David's like, no, you ain't going there, bro. If I ever thought I didn't hear something right, I always ask for clarification. Um, then after that, they had a lieutenant uh, up on the stand. I think his name was Jared Wilmore. And Wilmore has worked 17 years for the MCSO. And he is the lieutenant over the jail. He oversees the telemate phone system that allows inmates to speak with their family members. Now, he actually brought in a phone call. From June 9th around 11 a.m. And if you guys remember, this is when the search warrant was executed on Chad Daybell's property and he was sitting in his car. And so this is the phone call between Lori and Chad that they're listening to. A lot of it, you could not understand that well. But Chad does say to Lori they're searching the property and Lori says the house right now and then they go on to say uh, Mark Mark means will be talking to you and means is Lori's attorney um, Chad told her they were on the property and Lori asked if they're seizing stuff and after that you know he he and her lose a lot of their energy okay you can tell he knows they're about to find something and he then says he feels pretty calm but you can tell he doesn't feel pretty calm and then she asks if there's anything that she can do for him like Lori you're in fucking jail <laughs> what are you going to do for him okay like you can't do anything for him and then she asked Chad if she should try to call him back later. And, and this is almost like an admission of guilt. He says, I don't know. You know, you want to know why Chad says, I don't know. Because he knows they're going to find the bodies. He knows he's about to go to jail. And he proceeds to say, I love you and we'll talk soon. And then Lori says, I love you, baby. And the call ends, which gag. Okay. There's just like. I guess I'm just like so I have so much hate for these people it, d it doesn't take much for me just to want to gag 
The next witness they have on the stand is um, Agent Steve Daniels. He is a senior team leader for the evidence response team out of Salt Lake City. Evidence response team, or as we'll refer from it here on out, the ERT. He has worked for the FBI for approximately 23 years. And then he describes his training and all that. They go through a bunch of pictures and, you know, Daniels confirms that, you know, who, who took the picture. And then he tells the courtroom what he sees on the pictures and all of that. And then he talks about digging up the graves and all of that and what he's seen I'm not going to go back over what he dug up because it um I, I just don't think we need to go back over how those kids were found I, I think that it is heartbreaking enough if I do say so myself so once the prosecution gets done with him prior is now cross-examining him Pryor at this point is stuck on the damn raccoon and how big the fucking pet cemetery is. And I wish that Daniels would have been able to say, like, look, we didn't dig up the whole pet cemetery because we knew what we were looking for. We were looking for fucking human remains, not animals. But he just insists, oh, did you find a, did you find a raccoon? I mean, did you dig up the whole yard? And this guy, you can tell, again, you know, talking to Pryor, he's just trying to keep his cool. They talk to other detectives, and um, then around, let's see, um, Around 2.15 p.m., they bring up Spencer, or Spencer Rammel calls ben Benjamin Dean to the stand. Dean has worked for the FBI for six years, is currently an intelligent analyst. He supports active cases, but his main job is to analyze information and make assessments about specific needs. Um, Dean says in March, he began analyzing tips coming into the FBI. After the agency asked for the public to send in information uh, from Yellowstone National Park in September of 2019, the last time Tylee Ryan was seen alive, Dean also received a hard drive and thumb drive that were inside Chad Daybell's home. He completed the analysis on the devices in late May. He also reviewed two Blu-ray discs retrieved from Daybell's home in January. Now, he reads the text message exchange that exchange that I was talking about between Chad and Tammy on September 9th about Chad saying he shot a raccoon on the property. Dean says the first message Chad sent to Tammy was unusual as most of the messages, like I said, between the two were very short. So this made it look suspect. Okay. Um, and, you know, they, they told the court how they identified whose phones it was and, and, you know, that, that whole process and how they get their information and yada, yada, yada. And I forgot to add, I believe it was on day one when the BYU Idaho student, um, Dean talked, um, 
about Tylee, and he was just basically up there to say that he, I believe, searched under Tylee Ryan, Tylee Vallow, and Tylee Cox, and they looked under her specific birthday, and there's never been a student or somebody that has enrolled under any of those names. Therefore, Tylee was never at BYU like Lori said that she was. Um... So, anyways, we're going to go to the end of day two because I know this episode is becoming rather long. But I told you all it's going to be a long episode. Wood gives his closing argument. And um, Wood says, based on the state of the bodies of J.J. Vallow and Tylee Ryan, and this is according again to EastIdahoNews.com, they were victims of a homicide. Wood says, based on the evidence presented, both Chad and Lori were somehow involved. The bodies were concealed and found on Chad Daybell's property. Alex Cox became Chad's brother-in-law two months later when Chad and Lori were married. Wood states... Or Wood says the state has met its burden of probable cause on all four courts or all four accounts facing Chad Daybell, and he asked Edmonds to bound the court over to district court. Pryor is now making his closing arguments and says there is no indication of when the acts were committed. Pryor says the prosecution isn't even close on the conspiracy charges, and um, Pryor asked the court to dismiss the charges and says the prosecution has not met its burden and you know prior comes with some bullshit saying you know marrying someone is not an agreement to conspire and blah 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 anyways judge Edens ends up calling for recess and says that he will make a, a ruling when he comes back and then that's you know he comes back from his recess and that's when he found Chad to be guilty on the charges that we discussed in the beginning. And then, like I said, now Chad will go to district court to go before Judge Stephen Boyce on August 21st for an arraignment. So, yeah, I know this episode is so long. It was a roller coaster, but I hope you all were able to keep up with me. I know that I drugged this episode out by transcribing most of the phone call with Melanie, Chad, and Lori, but I felt like it was just such a huge bombshell in this case, and y'all needed to know what it said if you haven't heard it already, and if you want to actually listen to it without it being transcribed, you can find it on YouTube very easily. I would listen to it if I were you to get the full context of everything. I feel all this information is necessary for the case and needs to be discussed. There's so much more to this case and I feel there's still a lot, like I said, that we as the public don't even know at this time. I know Rob Wood and the prosecution team are still holding things up their sleeves for the jury trial as they should. I'm hoping... I'm sure as the rest of you all are to see some murder charges stacked on to Lori and Chad's charges soon. I mean, I, I'm just hoping that's coming. But I do know prosecution probably wants their ducks lined up nicely before they press these charges because you only have one shot in a murder charge and you want to make sure you nail it and there's 
no need for any holes when you put that charge up against somebody because obviously they can't be double tried for the same charge that's double jeopardy so they want to make sure that they get this one right this in in my opinion for the prosecution is the most um important charge on both Lori and Chad and I'm hoping both of them will get it and I'm hoping both of them will live a long miserable life in prison after all is said and done but yeah I'm gonna go ahead and wrap up this episode as always you guys for any business or personal inquiries my show my email is always in the show notes um it's the uncensored woman at gmail.com Y'all have just listened to The Uncensored Woman. I am your host, Heather Christine. We will be back in a few weeks with another update to this case, unless anything happens significant from now till then. Uh, But yeah, thanks for coming on this crazy journey with me in today's episode. And I'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace, love, and happiness. Bye, guys.